0: Coming up on this edition of the Golf Digest podcast, we discuss a wild WGC match play and have a talk with CBS's Jim Nance.
1: My God, my swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. Well,
2: why do they even have water if you're not supposed to
1: hit it there? Because it's fun! We're having fun! What is this, costume? Mine's off the rack.
3: I wish Tiger Woods was here to help me with this. We'll do it
2: live!
0: Welcome back to the Golf Digest Podcast. I'm Alex Myers. Today I'm joined by Sam Wyman and Keeley Levins. Guys, that was, um, you know, an interesting tournament. We always expect the match play to, to be different, but we got a lot going on there. Um, let's start with Kevin Kisner. Obviously, he is the big winner for the week, beating Matt Kuchar in the final, 3-2, and two, a score that Wikipedia predicted somehow hours before. Um, you know, he's 35. This is his third win, um, competed in majors the last couple years, uh, a couple close calls at the PGA in 2017 and the, the British Open last year. Sam, you know, what do we make of uh, Kevin Kisner going forward?
2: Well, going forward, I think this is further evidence that he's an elite player or close to being an elite player. I mean, I feel like his first real um, turn in the spotlight was at the players, yep. how many years ago, was it 2015 yeah. players? And battled, and we kind of—that was the first time you saw this guy who yep. should have been intimidated by the moment, and and really wasn't at all. And along the way, he's made steady increments. Of course, you know this was this was far and away the biggest win of his career, and only the second PGA Tour win. So there was something to be said for seeing how he performed, sort of down the stretch Sunday. And not, not to say that he ever really faltered per se, but but having a having a sort of signature performance yep. like this was kind of one thing missing. And now. You look at it, I mean, great, very um, effective, efficient golf swing. Uh, putts like crazy. So, you know, th- you know, the immediate question is, can a guy like this contend in majors? And the obvious question is yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the players. He, he I think he had like a 10-footer for birdie on the last hole that would have won, and I don't know how it didn't go in. Of course, Ricky Fowler ended up beating him in a playoff, but he, he lost three playoffs that year. He finally broke through. Um, as you said, Sam, now he's starting to kind of – you know, assert himself in the bigger events. Keeley, he was not on the Ryder Cup team last year. I know Lee Westwood kind of tweaked Captain Jim Furyk during this event uh, while Kisner was just still in the uh, the quarterfinals. You know, obviously hindsight's twenty Let's not say should he have been on the team or not last year, but this guy has to be on match play teams going forward, I would assume.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I think... I think it said a lot about Kisner, like the way that he fielded this type of question after the event, because Mm -hmm. he was asked directly, like, you know, why why weren't you Mm -hmm. on the team? Like, should you have been? And he just took it head on, just like I shouldn't have been there. Like my game wasn't there, Hmm. you know, and I think that that says a lot about how good he is going to be on some of these Ryder Cup and President's Cup teams um, because it kind of shows that he is a team player. He's not just going to, like, throw a captain under the bus for no reason. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think any captain in the next few years, if they leave him off the team, is going to catch a lot of crap from people because this guy can play match play.
0: Yeah, it's kind of amazing because Jim Fuhrer keeps hearing about these captain's picks. Obviously, they perform poorly, but he picked Tiger Woods. Poorly. <laughs> right, Phil Mickelson. I guess Mickelson might be the question mark in there. Tony Finau and Bryson DeChambeau, who had just won, been on one of the biggest heaters we've seen. Um, So you know it's tough when you know people bring up Kevin Kisner, Andrew Shawley. So, but Kisner did go two zero and two at the 2017 Presidents Cup. That was his first foray into uh, professional match play uh, for Team USA. He did you know the Three Amigos dance with Phil Mickelson. So he's obviously kind of a
2: a guy that the the, you know the players have fun with. you know, it's a back and forth when it comes to picks for Chiefs sure. because you you, you want to place a premium on um, embracing the format, guys who thrive well in that format. Obviously, he is a guy. So by that measure, if you looked at his game in September, he said, oh, he's a great match player. We have evidence of that. We should pick him. But the other side of it is form is a big part of it. Like, would you mm-hmm. rather have – so the question is that Jim Fearduk was probably asking in – in September is, would you rather have a guy who's playing really well right now or happens to play really well in this format? Mm-hmm. And I think he was more gu- guided by the the former.
0: Yeah. And, well, and, and two zero and 2 in this format is not exactly Right, We also went to the final of the match play. Sure, sure, well, sure. So, sure, but, yeah, so no, he had, he's done had well enough to, yep, to draw on there. But,
2: but I, I'm, I'm basically saying that it, it wasn't like a slam-dunk pick – in no. September, no. I mean, I don't even remember us talking about. It. Like, oh my God, how can right. you leave off Kevin Kisner? So I don't think anyone was saying that. And right. I think
3: the, th- but kind of to argue with that, the third consideration that I think you need to make is the golf course itself. Yes, and that was something that Lee Westwood brought up when he was chirping all of America, right. saying that there were similarities between leg Golf National. And this course that Kisner just absolutely tore apart. So if, I don't know, if Jurek had been able to see that maybe this style of golf is absolutely perfect for Kisner, then maybe he would have picked him. But I think that is asking no. a little too much of the captain with the way that Kisner was playing at that point.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is the course. Um, he, he's a very reliable driver. He's not the longest hitter, but it's mm-hmm. it's just a tight draw pretty much every time. Uh, I hated
3: watching. that I'm like watching all weekend that yeah. course and I'm like, I would shoot a big number. <laughs> this is tight out a lot of, tight there are a lot out of there. Uh,
0: penalty areas <laughs> <Yeah>. at uh, <laughs> Austin Country Club, that's for sure. Uh, another layer to the Kisner story is, and you know, so many of these golfers have these stories, but back in 2013, uh, Kisner said he almost quit, that he was hitting shanks from the middle of the fairway. And I saw on Twitter today, that Kyle Thompson, uh, PJ Torpro, who did wind up quitting and retiring early, said he played a practice round with Kisner in 2012 at Hawaii, in Hawaii, and Kisner almost ran out of balls. Like so, I mean, he's not lying. I mean, he was really that bad. So, you know. Sam, our mental yeah. guru. I, I mean, uh, that that <laughs> no, no, you can Shanks, really like, relate to yes, this right. guy. Sam, well, tell I mean, us more about the shame. How, how does he come back from something like that?
2: I mean, obviously, he's a guy who has got a huge foundation of success before that. I mean, he was a, you know, he was a very good college player, so it wasn't mm-hmm. like you know, um, you know, I'm not privy to what his sort of mental dialogue was when that was going on, but at some point, obviously, someone reminded him, or maybe he reminded himself that that he he had. You know, he had very good golf in him, and he just had to kind of get out of his own way a little bit. and he he managed to do that. Um, yeah, you know,
0: obviously, also when with when we're talking about Kevin Kisner, um, we have to talk about just his personality. He seems like a really cool guy. Um, I know the guys at Callaway have been sharing this video. He, he was at a, a rental house ahead of the players. He pulled off some sort of trick shot. Over he hit the a ball house. over the house. And they were all going crazy. And he's like, why wouldn't I? I've got my name on my back. I, know. I mean, He's, he's, he's very, very chill. Yeah, so and now funny. he's tweeting out today. I think his, his new slogan is, this ain't, this ain't a hobby. Something like that. <laughs> so I think good. Apparently he once yelled that at, at a, in a pro-am. <laughs> Uh, with other guys uh, while he was drinking and still just firing you know, I love parties. that he's the guy who got kicked out of his club for a little right, bit for racing right. golf carts um, in Aiken. I just want to hang out with him yeah like, I want exactly, to have a beer with him like exactly the kids the kids <laughs> so uh, good for him huge win obviously the biggest win of his career to date uh, let's move on though no, obviously the biggest story from the week uh, and it's surprising it wasn't the winner it wasn't Tiger Woods it was a gimme or a, a gimme that wasn't given uh, between Sergio Garcia and Matt Kuchar two guys who have been in the news already this year uh, for various not not great reasons let's just say Sam I know you wrote about this today um, or Joel and you did right mm-hmm. uh, you you what side did you well take first of all
2: I feel like I'm going to co- contradict myself left and right here because <laughs> you started by saying you know this is such a Great event this week, and you know it always brings us great storylines. Well, last week I talked about how they should go back to the old format, and I thought this week was fantastic. There was so many mm-hmm. good storylines, and now I'm like, wow, I really actually like this format. This for some for for a variety of reasons, um, the way this week played out, there was just, there was great interest in every at every round, which is what you want, and it worked. Like the pool play worked. So that's mm-hmm. my first contradiction. My second contradiction <laughs> is when talking about this whole Kucher Garcia debacle, I took the side that. There's no question that Sergio is more to blame in this scenario. And I, I, I stand by that to the extent where I say Sergio is to blame, but I do feel like it's a little bit more nuanced and complicated and then Kuchar does own some responsibility as well for the way it played out. So, you know, long story short, the way, I, the way I originally argued it was this was an issue that began and ended with Sergio. He, you know, he rakes a putt after missing it and doesn't allow time for it to be conceded. It's his fault, anyway. Slice it, end of story. And then he made it worse, but I think by um, asking Matt Kuchar after it was over, "Hey, I know you feel really bad about this. How about conceding a hole?" That's a really, really tall order.
3: I feel like he was just kind of calling his bluff, though, mm. because Kuchar said I didn't was want to saying like, like "Oh yeah. no, right. like I didn't want this to happen. I I don't want to win like this. I don't want to win a hole like this." So when you have a competitor saying that to you, I'm like. <laughs> Well, we can fix this. Right, you can concede the next hole, and then there's backtracking.
2: Yeah, it's actually an, also a really excellent form of gamesmanship because mm-hmm. you're introducing guilt. Like suddenly, oh, yeah. if <laughs> you know if Kuchar's one up or, or two up, the whole time there's a possibility at least that. That he's thinking, well, I really shouldn't be, and that might seep into how he plays. So Absolutely. even if it didn't work and it didn't result in a concession, it's actually a brilliant way of sort of getting inside the guy's head.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you, Sam, in that there's multiple layers here. Of course, if Sergio doesn't do this, doesn't rake it away carelessly, and actually, if he had just raked it into the hole, into the hole. it would have counted. Right. But he missed. Uh, so he is ultimately to blame here. There's no doubt about that. I also don't. I don't really like the whole, give me the next hole type thing. That's weird. But Matt Kuchar made this an issue. He, you know, kind of played it like he didn't really know what the rule is. And, hey, by the way, I didn't really give that to you. And that introduced the rules officials. That made this a thing. Um, You know, obviously Sergio raked it so quickly, it would have been tough for someone to, to give him that putt. So Matt Kuchar, you know, he could have said, I gave him that putt, or we had an agreement on something that, but obvious. It, yeah,
3: like beforehand. six inch putts. Right. We had an agreement. Like, exactly. But isn't that
2: lying? I mean, it's, well, it's I gets on a that's real issue in tech.
0: I know John Huggins says that. You know, here's the thing John Huggins says it. He's a real <laughs> hardcore old-school right. We guy. need to have John Huggins on we the We do. Brandle Chambly said it, and maybe a couple other people. Every player in Caddy who said something on Twitter blasted Mac Kucher. And also, that just shows you, too, in the whole Caddy thing, until it was finally resolved, wasn't a lot of people coming to his defense. Right. Either. Yeah. So, uh, and and you know we think of Sergio as obviously temper tantrums. He got in trouble earlier in this year. He did something that is that was awful. Obviously, he got kicked out of a tournament for messing up greens. So this guy is not in the clear, no doubt about it. But I think golf, you know, the gimme is for someone who's not a golf fan. They don't really get the gimme. Like, right. Is, mm-hmm. how, why didn't he have to put it in the hole? You know, we're supposed to have a level of sportsmanship that's above these other sports. Obviously, Matt Kuchar would have given him the putt. It's right. a good putt. He shouldn't have said anything. Should have gone in next tee if he really had a problem with it. He could have pulled Sergio aside and said, "Dude, don't do that again. Totally. It's very just, awkward." Yeah, just you know. Obviously, I would have given you the putt, but just chill. And I just think he could have handled it so, so much better. So it's like better. he called in the teacher when he needed. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Like, yes. He snitched yeah. on him. He I did. mean, it's I'm sorry. He did,
2: but I feel like in the heat of the moment, it's very easy sitting you know more than forty eight hours uh, after the fact to say. Here's how he should have handled it better. And I think he would probably handle it differently had he had the time to think about it. In the heat of battle, this odd sequence occurred, and his first instinct appeared to be, well, I should ask a rules official how you handle this. But Uh. what you're saying is that—so here's the other question I have for you is, suppose the um, ball—suppose Sergio rakes the putt up, misses, they walk to the next tee. Does anyone else notice? No that he didn't give him the putt. No,
0: no one would notice it. it Are would, you sure about that? Yeah. It would just be it would just
2: be an inferred. There's, that not, he a, there's the putt. not a there's not a, a uh knotted
3: No, on. yeah, because it's not always a verbal yeah, it's not always that's verbal. good. It's just like a, mean, a flick of the finger or a nod or whatever. Appar- like, right.
0: Apparently Matt Kucher doesn't really pay close, close attention. So in his situation it is it's a little different. He should be playing paying co- close attention. And then he could more Without lying or whatever you want to call it, cheating, breaking the rules, just been like, yeah, it was good, no big deal, whatever. Because
3: they up. don't, yeah, they don't just say, that's good, Sergio, pick that up. Yeah, it's right. just like, yep. yep, or like, good, good. good. And but, like, players aren't going to, or fans aren't going to hear that. Yeah. So I think that you're totally in the clear yeah. as the other, a player.
0: The other thing, Sam, and you brought up in the heat of the moment, and this takes me back to what happened a couple years ago with that girl who is now at Duke. Um, at the U.S. Girls Junior, she became kind of the villain for doing a similar thing when her opponent missed a four-foot putt for the win and kind of raked it away. Matt Kuchar had just gotten really lucky to even get a tie. So if I'm him, I'm thinking like, wow, I dodged a bullet there. Not, oh, not only can I, can I, I dodge a bullet, can I win this hole? In the, in the case in the U.S. Girls Junior, that was the end of the match, mm-hmm. the semifinals. She, and she actually said, I didn't give that to you. I mean— come on right. again.
3: But you're also talking about a teenage girl uh, okay, fine, fine. versus how old is Kuchar now? Right.
0: Fine. Fine. But the point is, golf, there's sportsmanship. There is, you know, you just don't do that. Obviously, Susan Peterson also at the Solheim Cup co- a couple insane. years ago um, in 2015 with Allison Lee. That one, she paused and waited and waited. It's almost like she baited her opponent. into. And some people say, oh, good gamesmanship there. You know, Whatever. Seve would have done it. But I'm sorry that's just sneaky
2: no you, you no I, no I mean I, I, first of all I mean it was such a ridiculous distance it was four inches yeah mm-hmm. so you know I I can't imagine a scenario in which he didn't you know mean to give him the putt so I, I don't know I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't trying to game it that he really was unsure of how to proceed look and so he called it you know he yeah but 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 you're right it's it's a bad look
0: it's once a, he calls in the official though and says that he didn't then he can't lie right you know what I mean I'm I'm 99% sure if they just walked to the next tee Sergio just did it picked it up he didn't walk. yeah he didn't think about it if they just walked to the next tee it would have been assumed
2: that he gave him the. well putt. someone had said we're talking in the office this morning was like well if it was between you and I it would be inconceivable that putt wouldn't be given
0: right right of course, right. Of course. well and of. also and also they had played six previous holes so if they had for a some, track record right of, exactly if for some crazy reason they were they had decided we're not giving any putts today that'd be one thing Mm -hmm. but you bring up another point there's no way Matt Kuchar would have done this to one of his Ryder Cup buddies oh I I don't think there's any way he does that to Jordan Spieth or Zach Johnson or Tiger you think he's gonna say no no that's I mean that point
2: come up that there's a little bit of um vengeance in the the act which is he's I'm not going to give this guy do this guy any favors right
0: and then that goes back to when we, we got on the uh, the backstopping and how, like, Jimmy Walker gave preferential treatment to certain guys. And we th- that was even, like, a different layer of, you know, you, you just you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, that, well, that's not uh, in the spirit of game. Well, two different things,
2: because in match play, you know, the whole point of the backstopping, not to go back, but the backstopping thing was about protecting the field, right? right? So but in this case, it's you against an opponent. No, so the I, rules I like of the... engagement versus you the, versus the opponent are the only things that matter. Sure. As opposed to a situation where we're playing with, Two other guys, but there's 140 somewhat other players in the field. Yeah,
3: mm-hmm. yeah, no, that's it's, true. It's I just felt like this was such a missed opportunity for Kucher because he he has had such a bad PR year as it is. Like, yeah. how good would it have looked if on that next hole he just gave it? That would have been like, amazing. Again, I why I, not?
0: I wouldn't expect the player to do that. Absolutely but not. I just think. They shouldn't have gotten to that situation where oh, Sergio sure, sure. Was, was asking for that. because they shouldn't Again, have. I just think if he hadn't called the rules, if it's over, everyone would have just assumed he gave him the putt. Yeah. I mean, there's anyway, I, I raked a putt once by accident in a club championship. Um, in stroke play, though. Mm-hmm. And I raked it, and I was like, oh, and then I had to play, replace it and took a penalty. Ooh. It was, it was literally like on the edge. Because I, I wasn't – was you're first not used time, to playing stroke It play. was the first time yeah. I'd ever played in a real thing. Yeah, so that I, it paid the price. So, again, I understand there are rules. You live by the rules, but I just think
2: – Well, it goes back to what we talked about was a couple weeks ago when we talked about Webb Simpson with, you know, intent. Like, how much should intent be in the rules? And it's just – especially now because, you know, intent is such a difficult thing to define. But yeah. in this case, if you go by by intent, I intended to give him the putt. There's no right. doubt. So,
0: But anyway, guys, tap your putts in. Uh, or don't don't give your opponent a chance to or, concede yep, it. Make eye contact yeah, do, with
3: your opponent do, do, do
0: before VR, you know. Is this good? You yeah. Know, try to yeah, like, try hey. to guilt them that way. Um, all right, let's talk Tiger for a second here. He obviously had uh, an interesting event. He didn't really play that great uh, for most of it, but he kind of you know s- scraped by, including in the big match against Rory. Then he actually played, I think, really well down the stretch against Lucas Biergard. Uh, a.k.a. the beer garden, who somehow uh, beat him by making three birdies and an eagle uh, over the final seven holes. That was pretty crazy. And Tiger missing a four-foot putt on the last hole. Yeah. You just don't expect I
2: mean, that. The, that, those last three holes were, were, were bonkers. Wow. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's like it, – it's funny because in beating Rory, you think he's in the clear yeah. in a way. He's playing this guy who exactly. no one's ever heard of. It's just going to – but, you know, as we know – Match play just invites um, the opportunity to have a letdown, and but it does speak to his uh, competitive, his competitive intelligence, if that's the right word, his competitive savvy, where he didn't play all that great, but when he needed to, he executed for the most part, save for missing that putt down the stretch. Um, He was able to do it, which is a big part of it. It's not about playing Mm -hmm. stroke play, which is having you know just being very efficient and limiting mistakes. It's really match play is about. Um, overcoming the mistakes you make with, you know, execution in the right spots. Yeah, mm-hmm. I
0: hate to say it. It's like the pitcher pitching to the score. In the yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, which I, I think is kind of bogus because you're if you're a pitcher, you, you're not. You want to give up zero runs every inning.
1: No, but, but you
2: change your strategy. But I
0: mean, you might you might not pick around the corners a little yet. less if if you do have a big lead. You're just trying to kind of get going.
3: Um, and it's like choosing where where to be active right. and where to be reactive. Right.
0: Well, you know, again, I I don't know, Keely, What do you, what do you think? This is Tiger's obviously final tune-up. You know, some people said, well, it's a blessing in disguise. He didn't play that extra 36. That was next a lot day. of
3: golf. It Holy. was a lot of golf. So
0: you kind of think that maybe? I
3: was I was fine with it. I okay. was like, I mean, they looked tired yeah. on that last day. Like that was a ton of golf, really close to the Masters. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I think that he got. Pretty much like only positives out mm-hmm. of that. Like I think that beating Rory is a really big deal because Rory looks amazing right now. Um, and I think it was just like – a I think it's a good tune-up. I I think that Tiger's probably feeling really good. I'm personally feeling very good about Tiger. Probably going to just follow him constantly in Augusta. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Hope you're not expecting much content <laughs> from me, Sam. <laughs> but, no, I'm, I, I'm good with it.
0: I'm, I'm up in the air on it. I mean, I, I don't think – I think if he had lost – with beer Garden making a birdie on him on the last hole. There would have been one thing, but I think kind of chunking, you know, it was a difficult shot, kind of chunking a ball into, yeah. the, into the bunker. He got, he got robbed by the way, in the tee shot. I mean, he had a perfect tee shot up the left well, side. Yeah, I mean, Somehow he ended in the same spot as beer Guard, who pushed it to the right. Totally. That was kind of <laughs> ridiculous. And people weren't talking about that, but um, you know, it's a bad wedge shot. And then bricks a putt like that to end your tournament. It's I don't know. Tough. I
2: mean, I just feel like, first of all, I'm with killer. It's, it's, almost entirely positive was his golf as sharp as it needed to be no but the golf course dynamic is so different uh at Austin Country Club than it will be at Augusta National so you Mm -hmm. can't really go too much by that I feel like being under the gun in the way he was particularly needing to win on Friday and then playing Rory on Saturday morning and you know there's a in my in my mind there is a there's a risk of sort of humiliating himself playing Rory. You know, it could be like a real yeah. Yeah. moment of exposure if Rory goes out and blitzes him and so for him to perform in the way that he did, I think was a real important test and yeah, the last hole was was, you know, was really ugly, but he'd also played a lot of golf, there might have been a little bit of fatigue and mm-hmm. I just, you know, you know, it's one of those things where that guy just had a little bit more mojo on his side. I think the the biggest turning point in that match, which is not a big deal, but is on 16 when they both had the eagle putt. Mm-hmm. Tiger am I right in saying Biergarde hit first, right? And Tiger hit second to right. sixteen and But he was hit outside it of him. And yeah, like to the exact, exact same, same spot. spot. Yeah. So he had the the absolute yep. uh, advantage of watching Tiger's yep. first putt and then being able to go for it. I still it. didn't think he was gonna <laughs> No, really. it was amazing. And then obviously <laughs> yeah. making the putt on seventeen was ridiculous. Yeah. So, you know, but it's that happens all the time where guys are just emboldened by the moment. They're not like they have nothing to lose in that instance. Yeah. And and good for good for Lucas Beargaard for for rising occasion, obviously the weekend or the Sunday didn't go as well as he had hoped, but everything else was pretty good.
0: Yeah, you know, Tiger missed the short putt there. He missed a short birdie putt on six, and he missed, like, a two-footer on seven. So there were three really short misses, which I'd be worried about. But other than that, obviously everything looks pretty good, including on 16 that recoil drive. And oh, he hit the, the baby. Biggest drive of the week for him after he was on his, what, 33rd hole of the day. So... At least he's looking pretty healthy. All right, uh, we got a special guest this week, Jim Nance, uh, CBS. We're going hear, We've heard a lot from him already this year. Obviously, did the Super Bowl. He's been doing the NCAA tournament uh, this whole past couple weeks. He's been on the call for three ridiculously close Duke games. Finally, Duke goes down. <laughs> Sorry, Keely.
3: I, I was know. wondering why you didn't say anything to me when I walked in the office. I was like, I'm Wow. Trying to be nice. Maybe Alex is being I'm trying nice. Trying to be nice. No, he's just uh, saving it. Saving it
0: up. Uh, but uh, you know. Sam, obviously, Nance is a guy who, uh, you know, this will be his, I think, his thirty-fourth Masters already.
2: He's a legend. You know, I'm going to be honest with you, and now I'm, I'm obviously a little bit biased because he's now a Golf Digest. That's right. Team member, he's a columnist every yep. month in Golf Digest, but, but really more so, um, I think, I think this guy just uh, radiates enthusiasm, certainly for golf, but everything he does, which, you know, not to get all s- uh, on my soapbox but like in this day and age guys who are just positive in the way that he is is um we, we need more than ever and I just feel like he's a guy who obviously loves loves golf I mean he's talked to you about how much he's sitting in his hotel room yep. just watching golf so he loves golf he loves he has the he loves doing what he does he obviously loves uh, broadcasting football and college basketball when he gets a chance so he's great and I feel like you know one of the knocks against Jim Nance is that he's uh, a little syrupy, a mm-hmm. little saccharine and it comes across to those who don't know him as potentially inauthentic but the more you know him or the more you know about him, the more you realize it really is genuine right. like he actually is he actually is that enthusiastic about <sighs> golf and the masters or whatever it is and so again, you can't fault the guy for for loving it and expressing it in the way that he does.
0: Yeah yeah no definitely and yeah he, he these uh, the Asian swing on the PJ tour, He claims that in the West Coast he kind of stays up all night and just watches, maybe takes a nap every (laughs) once in a while. I mean, he's really into golf. I I think, you know, he loves these other sports, but obviously golf I think is his number one playing college golf at at the University of Houston. Anyway, we talked about his passion, his busy schedule, and everything else. Uh, Please have a listen to our chat with Jim Nance.
2: Before we go on, let me talk for a second about Golf Digest Schools. Golf Digest Schools is our new cutting-edge video instruction platform, offering more than 250 classes on every part of the game and featuring the leading teachers in golf, from Butch Harmon to David Ledbetter to Michael Breed. Unlike the quick tips you can find across the internet, these are full game improvement programs meant to be followed step-by-step as if you were working with a pro. It's like Masterclass meets Netflix, but even better because there's the added promise of feedback. Sign up for Golf Digest Schools. Go to golfdigest.com/backslash/allaccess and use promo code Schools to get thirty percent off an annual subscription. Again, golfdigest.com/backslash/allaccess and use promo code School. Jim, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on today.
1: The first of many times, I tried. <laughs> I <laughs> hope
2: right. so. Are you going to
0: have me back? <laughs> oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, <laughs> to, maybe,
1: uh, maybe I have to
0: earn it. So let's see if in these next twenty minutes I can earn the return. <laughs> Invite. Oh, certainly. I, I have faith in you. Um, you know, obviously, you're you're so busy right now. You had the Super Bowl last month. You have the NCAA tournament right now. You have the Masters coming up. Um, you know, a, a hectic schedule for you, but is this your favorite time of the year?
1: Absolutely. This is the best time, and specifically uh, this next two-week stretch where you go through the regional weeks uh, weekend of the NCAA tournament, the Final Four, and then, of course, the gust of, on the backside of it—it's—it's uh, it's a big adrenaline rush. I've got to tell you, and when you come out of it, which is the week of the Hilton Head tournament, the RBC Heritage, it—it uh, it takes a couple of days to so like just bring yourself back to kind of a normal
0: level. <laughs> uh, it's because there's a lot of demand on just the preparation and research. Mm-hmm. The events are just a blast. It's—it's
1: it's the time that goes into. Reading, preparing, writing, whatever it might be, sure. Uh, and I enjoy that process, but it's uh, it's draining. I'm not complaining. This is not manual labor, but it is it is the most challenging, the most fulfilling, exhilarating, exciting, and wonderful time of
0: the year. Sure. Yeah, you mentioned your schedule. I, I'm wondering how different is Masters Week for you personally versus a typical PGA Tour event in terms of, uh, you know, preparation or you know, events you have to go to. How, how different is this week? Well, it starts out with Monday night. Of course, I
1: call the national championship game <laughs> in So I mean, there's that that little event over there.
0: Sure. Know, it, it,
1: it, is, uh, it is for a national championship in prime time. And, and then it's a it's a massive event. And it's the culmination of a month-long festival, if you will, celebration of the game. And uh, that will be my 15th game in 22 days. Wow. And I call the game. So that most people say oh you must be tired coming off the, the final four well how about the fact that the first week of the tournament the one we just completed we had six games in 48 hours i had to learn eight teams in a matter of days <laughs> um i live of course in california so i'm i've gone to new york for meetings and back home to chicago for the big 10 tournament to call three games there and back home to columbia south carolina and back home for a day and now i'm on my way to washington for the east regional and next week i'll have uh one day at home before i leave for a three-week trip that involves that final four uh masters and and, and hilton head on that hmm. on that trip so it's the it's the travel and it's the keeping up with just you know your life as well as your work but i know i'm starting to sound like i'm browsing about it i'm 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 in yeah. a rush i love it and, and uh yeah, that that week, so we come in off the Monday night uh, championship game, Alex, and I, I, I get to Augusta first thing Tuesday morning, and there's a couple of the little odds and ends I have to tidy up. Most specifically, my special that precedes the final round on CBS, that it's called Jim Nance Remembers Augusta, and this year we're uh, honored to have Mark O'Meara's 1998 Masters victory retold mm. through, through Mark, and we'll look at his, his Hall of Fame career. So... We have to do some work on that, some finishing touches. I've got an interview with Phil Mickelson to tape on Tuesday afternoon, so you're still kind of mentally in the building uh, in the in, in, in the in the U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis. you've right. Got very little rest. Suddenly, you kind of transplanted yourself into uh, the, the, the gardens of Augusta, and you know, and, in, into in Butler Cabin, and. And it's a swish pan mentally, but it takes a day or two to let go of the one shiny moment and all of that. <laughs> and, and there's things to do. Uh, Wednesday is a very busy day, by the way. We have uh, not only some CBS game planning uh, meetings and, and some rehearsals, but uh, uh, again, there's just, there's just a, it seems like every minute's kind of accounted for. Mm-hmm. And Thursday, of course, we get the tournament started. Yeah. And uh, unlike uh, unlike the the rank and file tour events, you know we're on the air. I mean, I'm, I don't work uh, Thursday Friday shows except at Augusta and the PGA. And on that day on Thursday, again, you're not even 72 hours after calling the championship game and letting go of that 15 game stretch. You're on with the CBS uh, uh, early show, showing the first tee shots live with Jack and Gary, and then you're. Then you're broadcasting on ESPN, our, our partners at Augusta, mm-hmm. uh, the, the first round. And then that night, there's the late-night highlight show. So you're really on the grounds from about 7.30 until about 11.45 at night. Wow. And then uh, you got kind of go back through a very similar process on on Friday. Obviously, there's not the opening ceremonial tee shots, but there's some things to do uh, early on Friday morning that go all the way through the day and through the late-night show.
0: Uh, and I love it, man. I just love it. Sure, sure. Well, amid all that, you still have the time, find the time to write a monthly column for us at Golf Digest. You do such a great job, and uh, I want to point out that the the column that's in this month's in May, uh, about you caddying for Jack Nicklaus at an exhibition yeah, uh, event in 1984. You know, what a cool story, and could you have ever thought that, you know, just a couple years later, obviously, you would start your master's career, and you know, have all this golf, you know, in your going forward.
1: You know, Alex, I could dream it. And I mean I was dreaming hard. People say dream big, you know, it's kinda of one of those motivational sayings. I I would dream hard, meaning, man, I just wanted it so badly. I could feel it. I could just <laughs> I was just overcome with the idea that one day I wanted to be one of those voices that at the masters and work for CBS and cover the NFL. I was just completely enchanted by all the things that they did. But when that moment happened, and thanks for mentioning that I've loved my time with golf digest and being a part of this remarkable team and, and guy Yoakam's been a tremendous partner with me on helping these columns come to life. Hmm. So we, we, um, we, we saw Jack in 84 and Yeah, you're right. Less than two years later, I'm in the 16th tower at the Masters as Jack's winning his sixth green jacket. Right. There's an interesting story in there, Alex, that I I mean, I thought it was interesting, but, you know, back in the day, the golf ball was constructed differently. It was a ball out of ball that could easily be cut if you you misstruck a shot. But I can still remember Jack coming over and handing me a sleeve of golf balls and instructing me on the first tee that today, this ball right here, he held up. The first ball out of the sleeve. It says, "Put that in your back right pocket. That's ball one." <laughs> now, this here, this is ball two. Uh, by the way, ball one we'll use today on the first, fourth, seventh, tenth, thirteenth, and sixteenth holes. <laughs> this is ball 2 Well, you We're going to use this today on two, five, eight, eleven, fourteen, and seventeen. And hey, it—I you know—I didn't need—I didn't need any uh, uh, leadership on what to do with ball three. I, I got the rotation now. <laughs> right okay, we're going to start that on the third hole and, and, and move on. Uh, but I just thought, wow, that's interesting. You know, like Jack uses a different golf ball, and he takes it out of play, and, and he brings it back, you know, every third hole. So we got to the first hole. We have this big ribbon-cutting mics, or, or, you know, and there's a microphone there, and, and, and Jack is welcoming everyone to his new course, Park Meadows Club in Park City, Utah. I'm chatting. I'm a local broadcaster, and as part of the promotion of the opening of this golf course, I'm going to put together a report for the newscasts about Caddy and for Jack. So anyway, he hits his opening shot, and it 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 goes left. It it kind of has a nasty hook to it, and it goes sailing over the gallery's head down the left side of the fairway. And Jack looks back and around, and he says, "Hey, I designed the place. I'm going to allow myself a mulligan." Everybody chuckle, chuckle, laugh, laugh. And, you know, I'm laughing along, but I'm kind of in a fog. I still can't believe I'm in the company of the great Jack Nicholas. And he says, "Uh, Jim, I need another ball. Oh, yeah, right. So (laughs) I I reached into my back left pocket, and I handed him ball number two. Actually, I tossed it to him. He went right down with a T in hand, put the peg in the ground, and ripped this one right down the middle. Well, now I'm completely confused. Which one is ball one, which one's ball two? Where are we going with this rotation thing? I don't want to let down Jack Nicholas. Yeah. So we we go down to the first hole and we find the first ball. He says, "Pick that one up." We're playing the second one. So I, I thought, do I ask him? No, I'll just kind of lay back and he'll eventually tell me. So he knocks an eight iron on the green, two putt pars. We're walking to two. He said, "Now this is the new ball one." So we're gonna play this next time on the fourth hole. That that that, that first ball that I hit we didn't like. Uh, you know that becomes ball number three. So anyway, he had all this this theory at the time that his golf ball needed a little rest, (laughs) the the punishment he was inflicting on the golf ball, the compression, he needed a chance for the ball to like take a timeout. So I got to steer Jack Nicholas around park Meadows.
0: Sure. That's great. Yeah. And and obviously you talked about 1986 Sunday uh, at 16, you're in the tower, you're a master's rookie yourself. You get to, you know, be witness to one of the great moments in sports history. Jack almost makes that ace, uh, has the the easy birdie. Um, You've said that that moment elevated your career. Uh, You know, talk a little about that. Is there anything else that you remember about that specific moment and kind of, you know, were you just right place, right time? I mean, just an incredible memory.
1: Great, just serendipity, right place, right time. Just completely mortified by the moment, to be honest. With <laughs> it was just—I can still feel the anxiety when I go back and try to think about it <laughs> uh, in, in deep detail. I can. I was 26 years old, wow. and just shocked that CBS entrusted me to be there. And Frank Trekinian uh, quietly and softly spoke in my headset right before Jack did his tee shot. We were actually in one of those one-minute commercial breaks, Jack had just eagled 15. And uh, when we were away in the break, I think that just the genius of Frank Chicken, he knew this was going to be a very big, weighty moment for this young kid that he's, he's entrusted with the 16-hole. And he whispers in my head, said, Jimmy, uh, you were born to do this, young man. It's, it's always been the dream. Wow. You can do this and just, just remember keep it spare, you know, use silence as a weapon, and uh, just just get lost in the moment. It's basically what he said. Wow, wow. So, yeah, it was amazing. So Jack hits the tee shot that you described almost went in, so it, it rolled off the slope and took a peek at the hole and before it settled about three and a half feet below the cup. And I mean, I said very little. Back on the tee, I had a, a little chat with Tom Weiskopf on the air because he was uh, kind of our go-to analyst when it wasn't Venturi. Tom was down in Bumper Cabin sitting alongside Brent Musburger, and, and I thought, well, let me bring in Tom Weisskopf. And I said, Tom, you've known Jack Nicholas almost your entire life. He is making this remarkable charge here in Augusta. No one saw it coming. What is going through Jack Nichols's mind right now. And Tom said, "Jim, if I had any idea what was going on in Jack Nichols's mind, I would have won this thing two or three points." <laughs> <laughs> Which is one of the all-time great minds. Yeah, uh, that is great. But uh, you know, it was, I just loved it. And anyway, I survived it. I was just trying to figure out a way to to be invited back to mm. do it all over again in 1987. And I, 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 I'm I'm not kidding. I'm not I'm, I'm not embellishing this. My teeth were Chattering! Wow. As as that moment arrived, I, mean, <laughs> I was so nervous. I was afraid that clicking sound might be coming out over the mics on the air. Uh, maybe somebody goes <laughs> was some nearby woodpecker in one of the trees, one of the, <laughs> one of the majestic pines. But that was my that was my nervousness.
0: Wow. And uh, anyway, Jack, uh, knocked
1: the put in, raised the, the the putter up in the air, brandished the putter as he as he stampeded toward the 17th tee, and uh, all I could muster was the bear. There's no doubt about it. The bear has come out of hibernation.
0: <laughs> That's great. And I got invited back. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you keep getting invited back. I know you, you obviously, your goal is to make it through the 2036 Masters, which would be the 100th playing of the tournament. Are you still on track for that?
1: Yeah, I, I hope I am. <laughs> like, um, I mean, I certainly haven't lost the goal. Right it's such an honor to be able to lend a voice to that tournament that is just it's again it's just connects my entire life you know my childhood my youth when this was the dream
0: right
1: and again i would dream hard i wanted to be at a i wanted mm-hmm. to do this and a few years ago the story on that is it's it, it, by the way it's getting so close now alex and i might need to adjust this a little bit to go beyond that um because this is my 34th masters coming up okay but when I was uh, probably in somewhere in the, maybe the 15 years at Augusta Span, I was I was delivering a, a talk at Bel Air Country Club, and I mean, as bizarre as this sounds, one of my idols, Jack Whitaker, was my mm. presenter. I was getting an award. I asked him to, if he would do that, and, and, and he did. And, and then I spoke about my love of, of golf and Augusta and the whole thing, and I mentioned before that audience that I wanted to be able to one day say that I broadcast fifty five zero Masters, mm-hmm. and that I had even looked it up, knowing that the Masters always ends on the second Sunday in April. That April the eighth, two thousand thirty five, I'm declaring it tonight is my retirement, <laughs> okay. and and the crowd kind of chuckled the whole thing, although I was pretty pretty serious about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know the night ended, and I went on and had a nightcap with, with uh, Mr. Whittaker, and at one point he turned to me and said, hey, I heard what you said up there about the 2035 Masters. And I said, yeah, what did you think? He said, I think you need to uh, reevaluate that. I said, well, why is that? He says, because 2035 will be the 99th playing of I, I really think it's important for you to be there for the 100th. Hmm. I think that's, at that point in time, I think you need to be there for that. You need to be the guy that's bringing in the 100th Masters tournament. So you need to go to 2036. So there was one adjustment, thanks to Jack Whitaker. And now here we are at uh, year 34 coming up and talking to you, Alex. I'm about to adjust the number up again. (laughs) I'm ready to let go
0: of it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, I know this year might be a, a little different At least with your clothing, I understand you got uh, the line with Vineyard Vines You talk a little about that I know it started, uh, you were making the ties Raising money for Alzheimer's uh, Foundation Which obviously it holds a special place in your heart Can you talk about that relationship with Vineyard Vines?
1: Yeah, well actually it started for uh, an Alzheimer's Research Center That my wife and I opened in Houston it's, sure. it's, it's for the Nance National Alzheimer's Center And if anybody wants to look into it we're half loved one that might be in need of care and an evaluation. We have top of the line research, maybe top of the world, going on at the Houston Methodist Hospital, mm-hmm. the home of the NNAC, Nance National Alzheimer Center. Currently, got nine trials, nine trials going on there. Wow. Uh, this is my greatest accomplishment I feel like in my life, outside of my family goals and my, my the blessing of my family. Um, but this was made in honor. This was uh, created in honor of my father who lost the battle to Alzheimer's. And I'd written a book about him. And uh, I realized after writing the book and seeing the reaction to it that I needed to do something more. And um, we wrote the first check and started raising millions and millions of dollars to open up what we wanted to be the state-of-the-art research center in the world. And uh, the Nance Center in Houston, again named for my father, is alive and thriving, and um, has been the home to some major international gatherings, including in February another international symposium of international researchers. I'm really proud of that place, and I got together with Vineyard Vines in an attempt to try to raise some awareness, some 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 more, you know, just a, in a small way, to raise more money for the Nance Center. And so we created, our team did, with my wife and Melissa Miller, who runs my world, and my office. We created a, uh, a tie with the Forget-Me-Not flower in the design. And Vineyard Vines was a great partner in this. And the proceeds, my proceeds, went 100% to the Nance to the Center. And it ended up being, thankfully, such a success that the line has expanded. It's called the Forget-Me-Not collection. I'm sure you can get the play on words there for the yep, Alzheimer's yep. world. And it's now multiple color ties, belts, handbags, coats, scarves, keychains, t-shirts, and again, it's raised a lot of money, but even better, it's raised a lot of awareness. I wear the forget-me-not tie in my biggest events, the Super Bowl. I'll wear it at Augusta this year, uh, the Final Four. Uh, anyway, after doing that for... Uh, for a couple of years with Vineyard Vines, they came to me and asked if I would be interested in getting involved in designing the next great American golf apparel line. And that had my attention, and that's that's what we're doing these days. Uh, and it's been a great, almost a year and a half process of designing, setting up everything in concert with the great folks from Vineyard Vines to uh, to try to build something that speaks to the golfer. The line went uh, public January 25th. We're in some of the country's greatest golf shops, pro shops, uh, private and public golf courses. Uh, there's uh, about half the line available at VineyardVines.com under Jim Nance by Vineyard Vines. And um, we've got players on the tour who are wearing the line, Trey Molinax, JT Poston, Russell Knox, uh, Tom Lovelady, Ben Martin. Are wearing the clothes, and uh, I'm just thrilled. Uh, this is a well, true labor of love. And look, here's the way I look at it. And this is what Shep and Ian Murray, the brothers, said to me. You live at Pebble Beach. You broadcast golf. You broadcast the Masters. You have Augusta and Pebble in your life. We figure that if anyone knows what a golfer would want to wear, feel good wearing, mm-hmm. and what a golfer should look like, it might be you. <laughs> so I said, well. Thank you. Now that you put it that way, it <laughs> got me even a little bit more interested. Sure. And, uh, anyway, we're having a ball, and uh, I can't wait for you to see it.
0: Sure, sure. And speaking of that, I w- I'm always interested. How is your golf game? And uh, I've always wondered, what's your best round at Augusta that you've ever shot? Uh, well, I haven't played Augusta since 2010. Wow, okay.
1: Okay. Now, there was a time there where you know I would be invited – by a member, and I still get wonderful invitations, but my life's in a little bit of a different place. You know, i got the Nance Center going on, I've got mm-hmm. the Calling Wine Enterprise, which is now almost 10 years down the road and fun. And I love the business world. And now, of course, we've got the, the, uh, the Vineyard Wines Partnership. But, sure. And I've got, more importantly, Alex, I've got an older daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, my Caroline and I've got two young children as well. So I don't have the time to play, mm-hmm. but I do like the fact that my last round of golf at this juncture was played. My last two rounds actually were played with Arnold Palmer. Oh, wow. And a great friend named Jim Rohr from Pittsburgh. And, uh, I'm, you know, I am, but I kind of like that being at the moment, my last round of golf in Augusta. Now I would like to play again. Sure. Um, uh, That was a very, very special thing to be able to to
0: do with with Arnie. Wow. Uh, But through the years, I would say my lowest
1: round ever is nothing earth-shattering. I think I shot 78 one time. Always managed to three-foot about seven or eight. (laughs) Uh, I felt a lot of freedom when I play there because what really gets me most of the time is keeping the ball in play. And when you're at Augusta, and again, I'm not playing it from the tips, right? but you'd be surprised at how open it feels when you stand on the tee. Mm-hmm. If you hit it if you hit it uh, in the area with the pine straw and the whole thing, you're still, most of them are able to manufacture a shot out of it. The canopies are high enough where you can still punch something out, hit it pretty far down the fairway, and play. I feel freedom off the tee there, and I've always driven it well there. Right. But now, when I get around the greens and have the chip and
0: putt, it's borderline disaster. So, <laughs> well, and I so just—I would say 78 would be probably okay. The best well, that—that's impressive. Uh, just before you go, I, you do get to practice some at home. You have a really sweet backyard setup. We've—we've we've seen. I think Nick Faldo is the one who's been sharing all these videos. Um, and yeah. you have, and you have that Pebble Beach Pebble where you uh, commemorate people who make hole in ones. And Faldo has, and Tony Romo has, and Faraday has. But have you made one at your own uh, backyard? Yes, but I'm not.
1: I'm not putting my name. Okay, in <laughs> I've run. Thousands, thousands of opportunities. Right? <laughs> I balls up there just yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, that would be absurd for me to do that. But I called it one time. I think it was in, in,
0: in the Golf Digest or Golf World. I said the Pebble Beach Pebble. It's yeah. actually like a, a half-ton boulder. Yeah, it's huge. It's, yeah, and it's got and it's got plaques. Uh, if you make a hole in one, and there's an eyewitness, by the way, mm-hmm. um, uh, you,
1: your your name goes on a plaque. Now there have been twelve outside of the of the guy that, that you know, built it. but <laughs>
0: there've been twelve. Uh, and I want to add a couple of names in there: Billy Horschel. Okay.
1: Okay. Billy Horschel made a hole in one and an event with NetJets that we had the day after the AT and T event. Uh, in 2018, we had 15 tour pros at the house with 100 uh, uh, guests and oh, wow. standing around watching this competition. And it was Billy and, and, and uh, Gary Woodland and John Rom. I mean, it was, I hate to go down the list of names, magnificent names from the game of golf. And they were offering for anyone that made a hole in one um, a very nice prize. Jet hours for free, mm. okay? Like the biggest, you know, Challenger 350, one of the biggest, sure, uh, to go cross country. And wouldn't you know it, Billy was the first guy up, and he knocked it in with the first shot. Wow.
0: You know, wow. they
1: all had warm-up for about 30 minutes. They uh-huh. all hit 20 or 30 balls. No one had come close in the warm-up. Oh, my god. And then the draw to determine what the order was going to be was based on how your pro-am team from that day at Spyglass had finished. Well, Horschel's team had won the Pro-Am. He got to go first. So I had cameras. I had, I had like, CPS coverage on hand. Camera behind the green. Camera, flanker camera. Microphone. I, you know, I was emceeing and hamming up this whole thing. And, again, there's a 100 people gathered. There's food and drink and yeah. great revelry. And uh, I've got the Augusta Melody playing. <laughs> Billy so gets up, looks at his team, and looks around at the other touring pro, tour pros and says, I'm going to end this right now. And he stood up and knocked it with the first shot right in the cup.
0: That's amazing.
1: So we've had Billy Horschel. Yep. We've had David, David Faraday, uh, Tony Romo, Mark Immelman, Nick hmm. Falbo uh, and, of course, the best of all, Brand Snedeker made the first one back in 2015 on the
0: day that he won AT&T for the second time in three years. Wow, what a day that is for him. <laughs> I had been with Rand and Mandy, we had, had dinner with them the night before and I had told
1: them that we had opened this this part three in my backyard, the hole Replica going into the week and I said, I've had a lot of people up here trying to make the first hole in one. Now you know, it's name dropping here so forgive me but obviously there was McCord, Costas, Baker Fitch, Faldo, at the time, right. and they came close, nobody made it. Davis Love had tried it, um, Phil Mickelson had been by it, they tried it, no one had made it after multiple attempts. I mean, like, in some cases, 20, 30, 50, you know, attempts at it. <laughs> so I told Brand about it on Saturday night, and he says, well, you know, things go right tomorrow, maybe uh, maybe I'll win this thing and I'll come up to the house and make a hole one Well, he shot, I, I forget whether he was 65 or 66, he wins Pebble. He goes after we sign off on the air. Mm-hmm. He does his media. Now, my wife and Mandy Snedeker are from the same town in Cleveland, outside, outskirts of Cleveland. They're friends. They come up to the house. They come up the hill. And Brad says, let's give this a, a go. He's still on the scene. White white slacks. Lime green shirt. <laughs> He's just gotten back into the field at the Masters with the win. And we go up to the tee. And about the, I don't know six or seven shot, his last shot of the day when he won the tournament was a hole-in-one in the backyard, the first ever. Wow.
0: That is quite a day for him. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's part of now, it's it's it's
1: part of Pebble Beach lore, I guess. Yep, <laughs> yep. All right, well, Jim. Yeah.
0: Well, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, it, we really appreciate it We, we you know, uh, I know how busy you are and we look forward to listening to you close out this NCAA tournament hopefully you get a few more games like the Duke UCF game uh, along the way in the final four and, and we look forward to hearing you as always at the Masters, thanks so much for joining us we'll see you on that first tee early Thursday morning for the uh, ceremonial opening tee shot We'll be there
1: Alex my thanks to you and all the teammates at Golf Digest, it's an honor to be a part of the um, of such a great team that serves the game so well and uh my last thing for you can i come back that i that i earn a return trip you
0: could come, to come back and you broadcast? could. we could make this a weekly thing if you want you can come can back whenever see. you want jim well, yeah, somewhere in between <laughs> okay and, uh, every
2: six months somewhere in
0: between right? sounds good All sounds right? good thank you so All much now. jim safe Thanks travels take care you. thank
1: you, thank you so much. Bye.
0: Thanks again to Jim Nance for joining us. Obviously, we'll be, everybody will be listening to him at Augusta next oh, week. By the way, I forgot to mention, yeah.
2: if we haven't done so, Chris Powers on our site did the his sort of ranking of yes. all-time Jim Nance calls or yes. opening monologues. Opening monologues. It's classic. So it's, it's very a,
0: good. Yeah, check that out uh, in your pre-master's reading. Also, you know, Jim, as we talked about on there, it's incredible. He plans or hopes, he's very humble, he hopes to still be doing it in 2036, which would be the 100th event masters he's it would be his 51st masters but he wants to stay an extra year past 50 to do that 100th tournament so pretty crazy because he seems like such a young youthful guy i like Uh, his chances for sure yeah no i know he i think he could go for for a long time no doubt about it all right let's move on here wrap up with some awards um we have our best one day story that goes to kevin doherty he is the oklahoma state product on the web.com tour uh, he didn't have a great day, but he made what I believe is the first shirtless eagle in golf history. He did one of those for from a hazard. Competitive golf. Yes, Competitive. From a hazard. Took off the shirt, not to get, you know, messed up, and hold it for eagle. Um, also... He's in good shape, I gotta I gotta admit. I don't yeah, know. I don't think he
3: took his shirt off by accident. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's the same like,
0: guys would not take their shirt off. Right. And
3: usually, like, the move is to, you know, take off your shoes and socks. We've seen pants come off. And he's like, no, 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 let me pop
0: my top <laughs> off. Or well, Mr. like, I
2: need to take my shirt off. Like, actually, your shirt's not in damage. Right. You're not even in danger at all here. Right.
0: It's odd because he didn't take the shoes off. Yeah. Which usually, right. that's the first one. The first but he took to the go. shirt off. He did put it back on when he retrieved. Uh, the ball. But it was cool because he actually went viral last year for something else. He missed out on his PGA Tour card by literally an inch. A chip shot on the final regular season event, Web.com Tour. Needed a birdie. He missed. I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's it's heartbreaking. So, anyway, good for him. Uh, getting out there, a little more of a positive highlight. Hopefully, he can make the earnest PGA Tour card for next year. All right. This week in pros are just like us. Julian Suri on the European Tour did a drop-the-mic celebration. um also, like us, he made an eight in the final round on the 14th hole and lost the tournament. Sorry, Julian. Uh, but, uh, Sam, I don't know. What's your best go-to celebration out
2: there? Again, you tell the story about a guy making shank. You're like, I made an eight. What's your story about something? <laughs> well,
3: yeah. What's the best eight you've ever made, Sam?
2: So many to choose from. <laughs> My go-to celebration? Mm. I don't know. I mean, i, I got to think about that one. You know, do the Zorro once in a while. I'll do some sort of. <laughs> no, I am more understated. Like I usually like to act like I've been there before, which when when it comes to making an eight, you're I've been there right. a lot. <laughs> so, uh,
0: You like uh you big celebration person? Um
3: of? I don't I don't really have big celebrations. I'll throw in a little fist pump. Uh depends on who I'm playing with. But like if I'm playing with like a bunch of you guys or right. like John and our friends, I like to throw in the shooter. Oh everyone. the shooter. Oh, oh, wow love the shooter. Love it. Love the shooter.
0: Love it. Speaking of fist pumps, the biggest the best of the week was Roger Mulvey. Oh, my God, it's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> we all screen-grabbed it. Eagle. I mean, unbelievable on, on Friday, Raj getting into it. I'm not it. entirely
2: sure it was a complete celebration. It was yeah. more like – I don't think he was, like, a fan in that moment. I think it was more like um, trying to demonstrate, like, what he thought happened. or something. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't like a just a mindless fan. Right, you know, right, right, right. It was more like I trying to showcase uh, how how – you know how masterful Tiger right. was in that moment.
0: That's <laughs> interesting. and We could break this down. Uh, Anatomy a of Anatomy um, Roger Murphy's fist next fist week from, on remember, the. Remember, digest. he's the one who fist bumped Tiger though after he won the Tour Championship that got caught on TV. If I put Roger so. in the
2: same category as Nance, which is just kind of a fan no, of the game. I, I Loves agree. the game. Like you know, it was a great moment. I So agree. I think he saw
0: someone do something similar in the crowd, and he was like, "Yeah, right <laughs> on, man!" And then he and he did That's it right back. That's a good back, call. I like right that. Back yeah. To them. yeah. Um, all right, our stat of the week: There are currently only 86 players in the field at the Masters. The last time there were that few uh, was 1997, pretty good year for the Masters. Um, last time smaller than that was 1992, there was 83. Um, what do we, do we like this? Do we think there should be more guys? Would you give any special exemption to anybody?
2: No, I mean I like when it when it works out. When I'm mean, of course I'm thinking about it like a total selfish media guy which is smaller field i mean guys are getting around the golf course uh faster just you know it's just more efficient so and in all likelihood you know players 87 through 90 you're not the guys who are contending for a green jacket Mm so obviously you know guys uh qualifying for the masters is a great honor and always makes for a great story so i'm not trying to deprive anyone of that but when it happens to fall where it's a small field i think it's fine it's a good thing
3: did you have someone in mind well
0: You know, Ho Sung Choi, of course. <laughs> I still think, I mean, throw the guy a bone. I mean, talk about growing the game. It's probably his only, let's be honest, maybe his only chance. To, he's 45 years old.
2: Yeah, but they don't do that. Like, they don't just throw random exemptions. Well, they, like, they do. To Asian players, often they But kind don't of they? Don't. I mean, they did. To Asian, shove last but year. But they guys are, like, ranked, you know, X-hop. in the top 200?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right. Well, anyway, I'll tell you who His dude. Name is on his back. What? The people
0: who are going. Um, and, and Lucas Beergard Bier, was one of the people who got in through this uh, last match play. They're happy it's a low field, obviously. A lot more chance to make the cut, make some good money. So, uh, anyway, we'll see. Uh, the Valero Texas Open, there is a chance for the winner, if he is not exempt already, to get in the field. So, could be a big week for someone. Guys, um, Keely, uh, I'll start with you. Any thoughts on who's going to? Obviously, the, the week before the Masters in recent years has been the Houston Open. It was supposed to be this mm-hmm. great tune-up, a similar course. Now we're getting the Valero Texas Open, which is you know we'll see what kind of a tune-up it really is. Um, anybody jump out at you?
3: Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Forty to one for Hai Tong Lee. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Right. That is surprising. Yeah, mm. he's. I mean, he's won internationally he hasn't won on tour yet and he's just he's one of those guys just kind of those like early 20-year-old kind of mid-late 20-year-old guys who are a step below the guys that you always talk about. So right. I feel like he's in that pod of guys who they're going to win any moment now. Mm-hmm. Uh so maybe this will be his moment.
0: He also shot a 63 at the Open a couple of years ago and no one remembers it because about Twenty minutes later, Brandon Gray shot sixty-two. <laughs> oh, tough, <laughs> poor out. Tough, tough break. Damn, uh, who you got?
2: I don't know who's going to win. I do th- think this. I think Jordan Spieth's going to have a good week. He's twenty-one mm-hmm. odds. I don't think he's going to win, but I think coming off last week, I think he's going to have a. He's going to be on the leaderboard.
0: Okay, what did you like at the match play from him? I, I just think he. I think you. You know, like because the putting is other did, than the short mm-hmm. putting. I think he is making birdies. Right.
2: So I think that's a big part of it. I, I think, think a lot of what you're. What you've seen from him is um, a lack of confidence and a lack of positive momentum. So, some positive momentum um, over a sustained period of time, I think, is is what he was looking for. So,
0: okay, yeah, there he was skeptical of my answer. There was that photo of him, you know, standing in the hazard looking for the- his ball. <laughs> <laughs> some positive <laughs> momentum. No, no, no. I think he's. I think he's. He's going to turn it around at some point. But still, a thirty-five remains his best finish. I think this year. Uh, I'm going with Ben Ahn, who, uh who is thirty-three to one odds. Uh, t- his putting has been horrendous this year, uh, 204th in strokes gained putting. However, strokes gained T to green, he's sixth, and he was one of the people that guys were talking about, uh, you know, you can be a victim of match play, just bad timing. Mm-hmm. He was second in the field through three days in total strokes gained, and yet he bounced. He got bounced. He did not advance. Whereas, actually, tung Lee, I think, was the guy who was like, didn't play well, but but advanced because, you know, the guys he played. Again, you he's know, talented. pitching to the scorecard. Yeah, he's a grinder. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I like, I like Ben on at 33-1. to 1. I think he's overdue uh, for that first PJ Tour win, kind of mm-hmm. like Tong Lee. All right, guys, uh, that was fun. Thanks again to uh, Jim Nance for joining us. Thanks to Brittany, as always, our producer. Uh, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so already. And check back next week when we really dive into the Masters.